what a, another beautiful day. We, what a blessing this is. Sunshine day after day. We, yesterday the men met together for our morning study. And again, we were talking about the new Jerusalem. The new heaven and the new earth in chapter 21 of Revelation. And it talks about there will be no sun, no moon, no stars but it'll be light 24 hours a day because Christ will be right there. The we will be in the Shekinah glory for eternity like that. Beautiful. I, 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 I'm an awe, and I use that word carefully because awe I always like to use only with God, but I'm looking at the awe of God's creative ability, how he created this, this world, and I look at that sun, and then I think that's nothing compared to the brilliance when Jesus, we see him face to face. And that's our hope. I, I worry about Christians in general, or Christianity, that somehow we've lost our sense of hope in the eternity. You know, we get so tied up with the here and the now. And we forget that this ain't it, folks. <laughs> this is not it. We live like it is, even Christians. But this isn't it. There's, what was that? There was a song Frank Sinatra, I think, saying, baby, the best is yet to come. Well, Christians, the best is yet to come. So let's keep our, our hopes where they belong, in, in Christ and our future with him. That's and I say that for myself, too, because it's so easy to get caught up in nonsense of this life sometimes. And uh, we need to constantly be pulled back. And one way we do that is by the Word of God. So let's look at the Word of God. And uh, I'd like to pray first. So if you would get your hearts before the Lord with me, please. Lord, you are indescribable. You are awesome. You are so great, Lord, that we can't even begin to Im imagine what we're going to see when we come face to face with you. And the, the beauty and the peace and the absolute fulfillment of the human soul that we will experience with you Lord and while we're here Lord you've given us little glimpses little tastes we see it in creation and we see it in your magnificent perfect word your eternal word the absolute truth Lord may your truth now speak to us Lord, I pray that you would help me to share that truth, that you would help those here to hear the truth, and somehow with the Holy Spirit may we apply that to our lives and know that we've, we've met with you, Lord, and that change for the good is taking place in us. We ask that in Jesus' name, amen. We've been in 1 John now for, I don't know, maybe four weeks, four or five weeks. And we're in chapter 2 today, and we'll be looking at chapter 2 verses, well, actually 16, although we're going to go back through 15, 16, and 17. It'll be in the context of those three verses, but we'll really focus on chapter six, uh, verse 16 today. We've already discussed how John writes this letter to a church that's being uh, infiltrated with heresies. Nothing new, still today. But the church is being bombarded from the inside of teachers who were teaching the early forms of Gnosticism, which would eventually really blow out in the, the second and third centuries. That whole idea of dualism, Anything physical, material is evil. Anything spirit is good. And if they were working these beliefs into the doctrine of Christ, creating all types of heresies.
heresies and uh, taking, literally taking the atonement by these heresies and making it uh, not effective for our salvation in the end, the truth of it. So uh, anyway, John confronts them, and we already went through that. He's, he's talked to them about doctrine. He's talked to them about morality. And then in verses 12, 13, and 14, he almost backtracks, not backtracks, but stops for a minute and encourages them. And he says, don't get scared by the doctrines I'm, I'm giving you here because in verse 13 of chapter 5, he says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know you have eternal life. So he he's just wants to stop for a minute. You know, you, can, you, you give so much heavy doctrine, but then you have to remind them for a minute. You know, you take truth, but truth always has to be seized with a little grace too. You can't, you pour just truth out on people. It's going to crush us. It has to be tempted with grace, always with truth. So as John does that, he then now goes back in verse 15 of chapter 2. He goes back to kind of testing them, giving them some, uh, I, I'm going to call them tests, challenging them, you know, as far as what they believe, where they are at. So look what he says. We'll, I'll read 15 to 17. This is the message we have heard from him. I'm sorry, I'm in the wrong chapter. I hope you get it together before I do here. Okay, verse 15 of chapter 2. Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For everything in the world, the cravings of sinful man, the lust of his eyes and the boasting of what he has and does comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away, but the man who does the will of God lives forever. I guess if we wanted to try to outline it here, we could say that he, in verse 15, he gives them a command. Do not love the world or anything in the world. Why? Because it's totally opposed to God and the will of God. We talked about that a lot last week. That the world, he's not referring to what the, with this, the cosmos, he's not referring to the physically created world, you know, of trees and mountains and sky. He's not talking about that. And he's not talking about people. The world in John 3.16 is, For God so loved the world, the world that he gave his one and only son. But then we know it's about people because he says, for whoever believes in him, that whoever believes in him. Well, that's people. So in verse 15 here, he makes it clear. He gives a command. In verse 16, he describes how the world operates here, is what he's doing. He's going to tell how the world, this system of evil, this system opposed to God, opposed to Christ, opposed to the Word of God, works on drawing sinners to sin, basically sinful people to commit sin, to be against God. And then in verse 17, he basically says, you have two paths, or you have two destinies, the world or Christ. So let's look at verse 16 this morning a little bit and uh, when we talk about the world so I want you to be clear about that that's a system of evil the world it's a system of sin it's it's driven by Satan it's we can say it's energized or fueled by these demons and the sole purpose is to draw us away to try to gratify the desires of the sinful nature. In Romans 14, 13, Paul says, clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ and do not think about, because it always starts in the brain, do not think about how to gratify the desires of the sinful nature. And we, let's not forget that. As Paul says, we've been washed, 
We've been sanctified. We've been justified, you know, by the Holy Spirit. But we still have a sinful nature. And there are some doctrines who believe what they call an entire sanctification. They believe that at some point, your heart actually where you're cleared of original sin, where you get to a point, it's a second work of grace, they call it, where first you come to Christ, you're justified. But then there's a point of entire sanctification, they say, where your heart actually is inclined to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength in your neighbor as yourself. I was originally in a, de in, in a denomination like that. And it really can mess your head up. Let me put it that way. It really can. It's, it's, it's distorted. It's not what the Bible says. It's clear we never get rid of this sinful nature. But with the Holy Spirit, we have the power to overcome sin. John, in chapter 4, I believe, says that the one who is in you, the Holy Spirit, is greater than the one who is in the world. Satan. Again, the world. When we're talking about, you know what's a, a good example? I'm just thinking in, in uh, second, second Corinthians ch chapter 10, verse 5. Paul says we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. That's the world. These arguments and pretensions against the knowledge of God. That's the world system. What I'm talking about, that system of evil. And how does he say they fight it? He says we, uh, we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God and we what? Take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. He says we have to take our thoughts, our mind, and we have to get it. What does Paul say in, in Romans 12, 2? He says, do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world. That's that system of this world. But be transformed by the renewing of what? Your mind. What renews our mind? The word of God. I used to have a professor in a, uh, a theology class and he used to say, the word of God is a scrub brush, he says. And it gets in there, he says, and all those convolutions in your brain start scrubbing, getting out all the filth and black and dirt in there, he says. And the more that word of God comes in, the more it scrubs out the garbage in there. It's very descriptive, but it's stuck in. It, sometimes uh, harsh, descriptive ways, I know for me, help very much. It kind of, boom. You know, it gives me that shock a little bit to say, I need to listen to this stuff. All right. So we're told not to love the world. And how could we love the world? This system, again, keep thinking, evil system. How can we love the world if it is absolutely opposed to God? Can't do it. How can you love if, if something is so evil and so against you, I went through a number of scriptures last week that says that God hates sin. The Bible makes it clear. God does hate, and he's not a hater. The way we use those words today, he hates what is evil. How could he be just and good and like that or love that which is totally against what is good and which is fair and just and good? You can't. You can't do it. You know, Jesus said you can't have two masters. Either you're going to hate the one and love the other, or you're going to be devoted to one and despise the other. You can't love both God and money. You can't have two masters. Our heart isn't big enough to hold, you know, it's, you know, all negativity and all positivity. It's a, it, it, it doesn't go together. You can't do it. The, uh, the scriptures tell us do not be yoked to unbelievers. You know, and there's a reason for that. In the Old Testament, in Deuteronomy, uh, they're told, I think it's 1810, it might be the verse, where they're, they're, they're told, don't put a donkey and an ox and yoke them together. They're not going to work. It doesn't work right like that. It's the idea you can't, or Paul says, what does darkness, what does light have to do with darkness? You know, what does Belial have to do with Christ? 
does the devil and Christ have to? You can't put them together. Absolutely not. And so John here is making this point, and I kind of like it. It almost reminds me of Joshua in 24, 15, where he says, he says, choose for yourself this day whom you're going to serve. It's almost like it reminds me, like he drew, I, I could picture him taking a sword, like and just drawing a line in the sand and saying, you're on this side or the other. Choose for yourself this day whom you will serve. You know, either you serve the Lord or you, you can serve the gods of your fathers. He says, but as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. That's the kind of mentality and kind of heart we need to say, I belong to Christ. I can't play around with the world, with evil. Now, I'm not saying we have to live in the world. And the only way the message of Christ comes through is to people who are in the world and under the influence of the world. But we have to be in the world, but what did Jesus say? Be in the world, but not of the world. We have to be strong. That's why we have to be strong when we go out in the world. We're called to go out in the world. But we're not called to be like the world. But how do we stay strong? The Word of God and prayer. You know, I go back, I said it last week, uh, Psalmist 119, 104 says, I have hidden your Word in my heart that I might not sin against you. It's the Word of God that keeps us strong when we're, when we're in a world that we're battling. You know? And this way we can do like Paul said, we can demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the God and take captive those thoughts. So look at verse 16 now. So the question is, he said, do not be part of the world or anything in it. Don't love it. And love is a strong word, isn't it? You know, t- we, we've, we've watered that word down, haven't we? We've really blown that in our times, you know. The words, I love you, you know, in songs. It says, I love you, baby, you know. And, I mean, that's, that usually has to do with lust. You know, where we love steak, or we love our dog, or we love this. That's not what love originally was. Love is that strong, it's such a strong word and powerful. You know, it's totally myself that I'm concerned. A biblical meaning of love would be that, you know, my concern is for your emotional, your physical, and your spiritual well-being, even before myself. That's true love. You want to see love? We just go back. What is true love? You know, Jesus laid down his life. That's love on the cross. You know, that is the ideal, perfect love. But that's our model. In a sense, we should be laying down our lives, too, for one another. We should. So he says, if anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. So now, how does the world operate? How does this system of sin, this system of evil, driven by Satan, how does it attack us? How does it entice us or appeal to us that we want to come over to that dark side and we want to be autonomous at that moment? We want to break away from God. Well, look what he says. He says, for everything in the world. Notice, he says, everything. There's nothing in the world that we should be dabbling with. Everything means all. He says, for everything in the world, and then he lists them. He says, the cravings of sinful man. You might have the lust of the flesh in yours. I have the NIV. I have the true version of the Bible. If you have another version, it says, the lust of the flesh. Okay? But he says, the lust, the cravings of sinful man. Same thing. And then he says, the lust of his eyes. And then he says, and the boasting of what he has and does comes not from the Father, but from the world. So these are the three areas that the world, that Satan's system uses to entice us, to pull us away And it uses that if you're in the world and you're an unbeliever, well, this is just, this is easy. This is cake. But it also affects us as believers. Do you ever struggle with the things in the world and for a minute you catch yourself getting caught up in it? No. Okay. It's the end of the message. You just, (laughs) it's over. That's it, folks. There's no premise here. (laughs) When we, you know, it could be a poster 
I mean, I, I can remember saying to Carol, I said, you, I don't know, people go to Manhattan every day. There's, there's these perfect little Barbie dolls walking with the most seductive outfits. You stop at a light and they're just all over the place. That's the temptation. That's the world drawing the lust of the eyes. You know? And you, you, men have to be so careful. We really do. It doesn't take much. You're a poster. You know, it, it's, we really need to check ourselves. We really need to be careful. But he goes, he says, the cravings of sinful man. Again, I go back. We have to remember we're saved, we're washed, we're sanctified, we're justified. But we still have another nature in us. That original nature is still there and it wants to come up. That's why Paul says, you know, don't think about how to, how to you know, gratify those desires. But what does the world do? It works on the cravings of sinful man like that. It tries to lure us. It tries to appeal to us and incite us. And this first one is basically it works on our most, the most base part of, our, of who we are, the physical. It is the physical desires. Now, think about it. Desires are not bad. You know, I always just like... To, I used to like when people used to say, God is anti-sex. I used to look at them and say, God created sex. He's not anti-sex. He's anti-immoral sex. He's anti-sex, which is outside of his perfect plan for man. You know, God said, God gave us sexual desires to enjoy with one another. It's to be enjoyed in marriage. One man one woman. Anything outside of that is sin. And we've fallen by the world, and the world is, is pulling away and trying to break all that down. But it, it, it appeals to the physical part of us, our natural desire. It doesn't have to only be sex. Food. We have cravings for food. Nothing wrong with eating. Think about it. To me, it's amazing. God Gave so many flavors, you know. You know, just it's like ice cream, right? There's so many Mark Harrigan's happiness, a bowl of ice cream. And think of all the flavors that there are. Well, uh, natural food is like that. Think of the juicy fruits. And I don't mean the, the candy juicy fruit. I'm talking about the real thing. How beautiful, how delicious. Those we have desires for, that's okay. It's when it turns to gluttony. There's nothing wrong with enjoying, but when we become a slave to pleasure, when we become a slave to entertainment, that's a problem. But those are all those, the most base part of us, the natural part of us, the physical part of us is the cravings of sinful man. Number two, he says, the lust of his eyes. Wow. This takes us like to the next level. You know, it starts with just those, the, the, our most basis level of those natural desires that God, which are good desires that God put in us. It's the world wants us to express those and satisfy those and gratify those desires in sinful ways, those outside of God's safety box. And that's what it's, I always, I remember Josh McDowell years ago, I can't remember the name of him, but it was, he talked about a goldfish. And he said there was this goldfish that was in a bowl. If I, it's 30 years ago I heard this. But there's a goldfish in a bowl, he says. And every day he'd be on the dining room table and he'd be looking out and he'd be going, wow, I wonder what's in the kitchen. And look down the hallway to his bedrooms. And, this, and he'd say, why do I have to be trapped in this goldfish bowl? I want my freedom. I want to go wherever I want to do and whatever I want to do. And he said one day he got his tail all set and he leaped out of the bowl and he died. 
And he was using that as far as God. <laughs> I don't want to make you cry, Cameron. The goldfish. <laughs> okay. He's gone. That's it. They, you know, they found him down the toilet. I'm sorry. Flush him. With you. So I, I'm sorry. They didn't even bury him, I don't think. But that's what people do with goldfish. But anyway. Uh, <laughs> but the point of it was that God gave us commandments and laws. Why? Those restrictive barriers are for our safety or to give us life the goldfish had everything in the bowl he said he had his air he had food he could swim around he was safe from the cat he said but once he said I don't like being restricted I'm gonna be free like everybody else he dies and he said that's the way it is when we break out of those protective laws that God gave us ultimately we're gonna perish spiritually we die and even physically we you know so it's God's laws are good they're for God is for us he's not against us he gives us restrictions because he knows we'll harm ourselves we'll hurt ourselves spiritually physically emotionally so they're good they're good things but look at this second level now he says the lust of his eyes boy that is an area especially today you know, so many, we're always getting these, these little bites, these uh, pictures and quick things, even movies. I remember movies used to be, you'd have one scene and you just watch it. Today, if there's a fight scene, who can watch these things? It's, you know, just flipping and lights and jumping and all kinds of things in every, every second. It's, you know, and we get that. We're constantly bombarded by that. We take it in the eyes like that. And it's the eyes, it starts to, Bring a word that Jesus used, covetousness. It's coveting. It's through the eyes we see something and it touches our emotions. We start thinking and emotionally, I want that. I want that. Even if I'm not supposed to have it or it belongs to somebody else, I want that. James says you, you, know, you covet to the point where you kill one another. He says, think about it. I read sometimes in Newsday and I go, how is this possible? You know, somebody kills somebody like for a couple of hundred dollars. They actually would, would, would take somebody's life for that. But that's what the lust of the eyes is. You look and you covet and you want. And I have to have this thing no matter what. And how we approach it, that's, that's affecting our emotional level. It's almost like that's the second. We start with that physical level. He goes to the emotional level. Now look. He says, and the boasting of what he has and does. Uh, the, in, in the Greek, it's a word, alazonia, and they get the word alazon. And what it is, it's a braggart, basically is what it means in the Greek. A braggart. And it's the person who, and this is kind of the, the, the next level. It's almost the level of the intellectual level. Where in our minds, it's pride, basically. It's all driven by pride that I want to be better than everybody else and I want them to know I'm better than anybody else. And by brag, why does a person brag? They want to elevate themselves. It's an inner pride to, I want everybody to know that I'm better than they are. I have more than they have. I do more than they have. I'm smarter than they are. He says, and that boasting, ultimately, it's, 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 it's from our minds. It, it's, it's in our minds, this elevated view of ourselves like that. And who fell because of that? And who started it all? Satan, right? Isaiah tells us one day in heaven, he said, I want to be like the Most High. I want to ascend the mountain. I, I, and you read, he goes, I want the I, 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 and I will be like the Most High. Isn't that the basis of pride ultimately? We want to be God, is what it is. And we look at the, in a few minutes, we're going to look at Genesis. And boy, that's just what the promise was. You can be like God. Just take this. You'll be like God. You know, He's not the only one. He doesn't have to be the only one who's in charge. You can be just like Him. But so the world works upon our most uh, 
natural base desires. It works through the eyes to get us lusting and craving and affecting our emotions. And it affects us intellectually. And it's, it's almost, it's, it's an offense in a sense to we're created in the image of God. And yet we want to be better and we want to elevate ourselves like that. It's a direct assault upon God's image in a sense that we're not satisfied to be where God put us. We're better. We can be the best. I, that type of boasting or pride, I remember when I was, I think, a, a sophomore in college. I went over Oakdale. At first it was Adelphi, Suffolk, and then it became a Dowling. Dowling and now it's not there but uh, at the time I had played a I had played in a restaurant somewhere with my group I was a, a full-time musician and I was going to school and I remember a man came up to me and he said would you give my son guitar lessons I said sure I used to give private lessons during the day in my time and play at nights and I went to his house I had finished the core uh, I got done with a course and he was right down the block from the college I go to his house and I'm teaching his son and afterwards I'm talking to his wife very pleasant regular person that and then the man comes back and naturally I won't use his name I, I said hi mr. G how are you he says Wally he called me Wally he says Wally he says it's dr. G he says, I worked very hard for that title. And I like just, I wasn't a Christian at the time, but I just like, oof. That's sad when you have to push a title like that. You know what I love? We have a couple men in the church, and I won't mention their names, okay? But they're doctors, you know? They're doctors of what they do. They have their doctorates. And you know, those two guys, I... I'll be confess, I like to tease him about it. You know, I'd like to say, Doctor, could I talk to you? you know, and, like, and I watch them just squirm when I say that because they're the most unpretentious people. It's not to them, it's, it's just what I do. It's not a, I don't need to be called that and stuff. I do love to watch them squirm, though. That's, I know that's sinful, probably, but I love to say, Doctor, Doctor, you know, and they, well, I always watch them, you know, kind of like just squirming like that, but it's, <laughs> it, it's something that, you know, it's, it's the idea of that brag at that boasting. Um, and he was a dentist, which was the funny even part. He was a doctor of dentistry. And, and that's, an, that's a big deal, I mean, you know, to go through school and do that. But you don't push it like that. You don't do it that way, you know. You shouldn't have to. But it's wanting to feel elevated. It's wanting to me to feel, I'm above you. I worked hard for that to get above you. And don't you forget it little guitar player you know it's 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 not good anyway all right so what I want to do is just give you two examples of how what this looks like would you turn to Genesis 3 for a minute how this sinful system works you know I kind of gave it to you and it's abstract let's put it let's put it in a a biblical context here of the of the of a, a real story chapter 3 Adam and Eve are in the garden and chapter 3 begins with now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord had made you get that feeling there's something ominous coming here you know he and the Bible does that many times very uh, just passing by it's not where it's emphasizes but the serpent was more crazy. You know something's coming up here. He says, he said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? Right away he's questioning the word of God. Did God really say that? You know, you sure? He says, he's trying to get her thinking. You know, gee. He says, the woman says in verse 2, said to the serpent, we may eat the fruit from the trees in the garden. You remember, God gave Adam, he says, Adam, it's all yours. Just don't touch that one tree. Every other tree in this garden you can feast upon, taste all the different flavors, but don't touch this one tree. 
the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So says we may eat, she says we may eat from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from that tree that is in the middle of the garden, that's correct, and you must not touch it or you will die. She added something now to it. You see, he, he plants that little bit of doubt there. You know, did, did God really say that? And now all of a sudden, you know, she's saying, yeah, and, and, and God said we mustn't touch it either, you know, or we'll die. And Verse 4, now look what Satan says here to her. This is the world you're listening to. This is Satan directly, but this is the way the world operates what he has. He says, you will not surely die. What is he calling God? A liar. He's lying to you, Eve. He said you were going to die, and he did say. He says, if you eat of it, you're going to die. God's a liar. Don't believe that. He's putting one over on you. He's a liar. You will not surely die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God. Wow. He says, you want to be the same level of God? You want to be autonomous? You don't need somebody telling you what. You don't need somebody giving you that fishbowl to live in. You can jump out of the bowl, Eve. It's all yours. Just do it. He says, verse 6, Now watch. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food, those base desires, those physical needs, it was good for food. He first appeals to her natural desires, those base desires of appetite. It says it's good for food and what? Pleasing to the eye, the lust of the eyes. He goes first, he says, he wants to sat, says it's going to satisfy those natural desires. Then it's going to satisfy your eyes. It's going to be pleasing to the eye, the cravings of that. Like he's, you see how he's going from the lowest to the middle, and then what does he say? He says it's pleasing to the eye and also desire, desirable for gaining wisdom. You know, that idea, again, into getting to the intellectual part of her now. He goes from the physical to that emotional to the intellectual. You'll be like God. It's good. He says, look, he says desirable for gaining wisdom. You'll really be something. You're going to be smart, smart as God now, like that. You'll be able to brag about it even. You know, hey, God, I'm just like you. He goes, so she also gave some to a husband. But go to, go to Luke chapter 4. Please. I'm not trying to boss you around. I didn't sound right. Go to chapter. Right now. Who didn't go there? That's what happened. My wife, Carol, always reminds me to say, please. <laughs> Would you please turn to, we were in the grocery store. It's so funny. And I remember a woman said something. She said, do you want, and I was like thinking of something else. And she said, Would you like some bags? I said, no. And Carol looked at me in front of her and said, no, thank you. I said, got a little lesson in manners there. Uh, <laughs> we always laugh about it, but uh, it's true. Okay, Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit. He says, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the desert where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. You want to know how the devil was tempting him? Let's read on. It'll tell us. He ate nothing during those days, and at the end of them he was hungry. Now where is Satan going to first start to attack him? Where does the world first go to the attack? The devil said to them, if you are the Son of God, Tell this stone to become bread. Now think about it. Jesus was fasting because it was the will of the Father. The Father wanted him. How do I say it? Well, chapter 5, read chapter 5 of John. Jesus is always doing the will of his Father and the work of his Father. Jesus doesn't do anything unless it's in line with the Father. 
So obviously the Father wanted Jesus. And it says the Spirit led him out in the desert. It was the will of God for Jesus to do that. So he goes out there and 40, I can't imagine, four hours I'm hungry. I'm basically, you know, it's like, you have a, how about some of you guys, you, you come home from work and you go, what are we having? I'm starving. You know, we're always starving. We, we don't know what starving is. We have never starved or close to it. But it says, it says, tell the stone to become bread. So he wanted Jesus to, on his own, to break away from the will of God and do it his own way and produce bread and what? Satisfy his physical need. Jesus was all God, but he was all man and all man was hungry. He was, and he was starving at that point, probably on the, the brink of it. And so the devil says, make some bread. You know, don't do it God's way. Do it your own way. Satisfy your needs your way. You know, have it your way, you know. And so he appeals to that physical right away, like that. And then Jesus, it says, the, uh, where is it? Jesus said, it is written, man does not live on bread alone. He quotes from Deuteronomy. And remember, how does he work against the world here, work against Satan? He keeps pumping the word back at him. He keeps confirming the word of God is true. And he says, I can, he says, I can count on the word of God here, he says. And he brings it back to him. Then it says, verse 5, the devil led him up to a high place and showed him in instant all the kingdoms of the world. He's appealing to his eyes. He said, look, Jesus, all, look at all these kingdoms. Look at them everywhere, he says. I'll give it all to you. And you say, well, how? Because they were given to him. Because Satan right now is the prince of the power of the air. He is the God of this age. God has allowed Satan right now to have his control here over the world. God is ultimately sovereign and nothing happens outside of his will, but he's allowing Satan to have that and he gave him these. And Satan says, Jesus, the Father gave these to me. I'll give them to you. Everything, he says. But what's the uh, catch there? See, he's, and he's appealing you know, to the eyes, to what he sees. Look at all these kingdoms. And he says, I will give you all their authority and splendor. All the splendor appealing again to the visual, to the splendor. For it has been given to me. And I can give it to anyone I want to. So if you worship me, it will all be yours. Jesus, you don't have to go to the cross. You can have the whole world just when nobody's looking. Just wait till nobody's looking. Just even bend down on one knee a little bit to me. Just, just bow just halfway down to me and worship me, he says. And I'll give it all. You see how he's appealing to, to Jesus now? The lust of the eyes. Not that Jesus lusted, but Jesus was a human being and he was tempted in every way as we are. And you know, he, the devil is showing him, look, you can have all this what you see. Everything you see, it's yours. He's trying to appeal to that emotional level in him through the eyes. And then Jesus answered, it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. He fires back the word of God from Deuteronomy. The devil led him to Jerusalem and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. And from the highest point of the temple, down there was a valley it was right at the edge down a valley it was 400 feet so he says geez he's going to lead him up there and say just jump down and then he's going to very uh sneakily and not not successfully says the devil led him to jerusalem had him stand on the highest point of the temple if you are the son of god he said throw yourself down from here for it is written, Satan's catching on now. He said, hey, he's going to use the word. I'm going to use the word too. He was from Psalm 91. He says, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you carefully. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against the stone. Jesus, you're going to go up to the top. You're going to jump off. 
and people are going to be seeing you jumping, and as you're jumping, these angels are going to come, and you're going to come down like a feather, he says. And they're going to be looking. Did you see that? Jesus said, look what I did. Hey, did you see what I did? I jumped that. Nothing happened to me. Look, you know, he's there where he talks about the bragging about that. You know, I got something to brag. I'd say, look at me. Look what I did. Huh? Huh? You want to worship me? And Jesus answered, it says again from Deuteronomy, do not put the Lord your God to the test. And it says the devil took off from there. It was enough for him. So, just some illustrations of how even in the scriptures the world works against us. So what do we do? Well, it always gets back to the same two or three things, doesn't it? The Word of God, prayer. That's how we battle this. We become stronger as Christians and realize when we start to feel the pull of the world, this is not from God. Is this the Holy Spirit speaking to me or is this the world speaking to me? You know, that's why we have to be in touch with God. I hope all day long you're speaking to God. I really do. And I know some of you are, you know, have shared with me. It's, it's so important that we are embedded in the Word of God. And again, not as, a, not as a mental exercise only. We have to memorize it and then imprint it on our hearts. And then there's power in that. That's how Jesus fought it off. You know, but we, uh, we can get too busy sometimes and forget that. And I, I just want to encourage you once again, get in the Word of God and don't do it as... Okay, I've got to read five chapters today now if I want to read through the Bible this year. That's okay to do. But if it's a routine, if it's a ritual, and if it's no good unless you meet with God, you have to meet with God when you do that. You have to let the Lord speak to your hearts. So I encourage you that we have the Holy Spirit, we have the Word of God. Let's not fall into what John says, you know, to getting a love for the world and the things of the world. Because when we are, it's not from the Father, it says. You know, we don't belong. John makes it clear, he says, you either love God or you love the world. That's what he's basically saying. He's doing to Joshua, you know, whose side you on? So I hope in some way you're encouraged to look at the Scriptures Look at these things, think about these things, and then try to apply them. That's the only way that we conquer. That's the only way we change. It's a little at a time. We can, we can go to the biggest Christian events, you know, where there's 30,000 men praying and where there's the top Christian worship bands. It's okay. But I, I would almost bet that almost every person that's not the way real change takes place. It takes place by every day meeting with God, learning His Word, spending time with Him, and obeying Him. You know, it's, we always look for the big events in life, kind of. Even, I always remember with my son, it wasn't, it wasn't vacation or this and that. The things I think that meant the most to him was I remember one night he was about seven years old and we were in the car. And it started snowing, and we had just come back from the stores, and he and I were in the car, and we were sitting talking. And I remember we were there about 20 minutes. And I said, what do you think, Walt? Should we go in? And he said, Dad, can we just stay here longer? Because that was more meaningful to him, I believe. Then that's what he remembers more than, than, you know, the big events. The big event is when we meet with God. That's the big event, when we open when we open his word and we let the word of God get in our hearts, that's the big event, you know, what we need. Okay. Would you, if you'd like to stand, okay? Well, however, you know, this is where I, if you are comfortable to worship sitting, then sit. If you're not, if you would stand up, I'd like to sing the doxology together and then we'll pray.
Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above ye heavenly host. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Amen. Let's pray. Father, as we get ready to leave here now, I pray, Lord, that we would remember that you never leave us, that your presence is always with us and in us for those who have been born again into your kingdom. Lord, I pray you would help us, Lord, to resist all the temptations to our, our bodies and our hearts and emotions, Lord. And those things which attack us intellectually as well, Lord. And Lord, that the Word of God, your Word would be so embedded in us that this week, Lord, we would recognize the world trying to entice us to sin, to lure us to sin, Lord. And Lord, we would be able to, we would be able to recall your words. We would remember the moment that we were saved. We would remember, Lord, the things you have led us through faithfully, that you are faithful and true, Lord, and there is nothing, Lord, that we need to fall into temptation about, Lord. Your word says, no temptation has seized you except what is common to man. And God is faithful. He not, will not let you be tempted, but what more you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can stand up under it. Lord, help us to lean upon and trust your word and, and hold on to it and to let the Holy Spirit Guide us and empower us, Lord, to be the people you want us to be, that we would not be like the world, but we would be more like Christ. Thank you, Lord, for your faithfulness, your love, your goodness, and all the good things you give us. Now may we leave and be salt and light, Lord, in this world, and I pray you'd bring us back next week to worship you, Lord. We love you. And Jesus, we pray these things in your name. Amen.